tad more brightness. Action smoke. Action helicopter. Oh, guys. Guys, we don't need all this. This is just a conversation. Cut, cut, cut. Oh, welcome to another edition of Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. No matter where you're listening from, we invite you to just get comfy and enjoy the next few minutes as we bring you new perspectives and maybe even some fun and laughter. No drama here, though. Just good conversation. Now, here she is, the woman who Alexa and Siri wish they could sound like. It's the lovely and gracious Donna Reed. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Spotlight Conversations, where I talk to people in music and media, could be TV, could be radio, could be books, could be audiobooks. They could be narrators. They could be voice talent. They have this backstory that I always find is interesting on how they got to where they are right now in media. Follow me on Instagram at Spotlight Conversations and on Facebook at Spotlight Conversations. Today I'm in the studio with David Menconi. He's written a lot of books about music. The one we're going to talk about mostly today is his new one, Oh Didn't They Ramble, Rounder Records and the Transformation of American Roots Music, with a foreword by Robert Plant. We're going to get into everything about the book. So I did a little research, David, and I find out you're from San Antonio, Texas. I am. I grew up, I was born there and raised there until the age of 15. I know David from the North Carolina area where he was a uh, music critic for the News and Observer for a long time. And if you work in radio in Raleigh, you know David Menconi. And um, recently you've decided to, um, I guess a couple years in the making for this book, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I started talking to the publisher about it before the last one came out. So this would have been summer of 2020. So during COVID, you were researching. Did you keep track of how many hours it took to research this book about a, uh, a record company with a very eclectic and creative music library? I, I mean, the catalog of music is, is just so unique and the people that founded it. How many days did you spend researching? <laughs> um, it's funny. I actually did a post on my book blog recently about kind of the timeline Um uh, so, yeah, summer 2020 is when I started, and there was probably a solid year of nothing but research. And what would entail that? I mean, typically, you got up, had a cup of coffee, and just dug, dug, dug. Well, yeah, I tried to read everything out there about this label. And they've been around for 50 years, and exactly. they've been a fairly big deal in this world, so there's a lot of it. I you know, didn't get to all of it, but everything I could. And uh, interviewing people, um, you know, it started out just just reading and listening for a couple of months, and then I started doing interviews. Um, I tried to do at least one a day. Two was a good number. If I tried to do more than two a day, my uh, brain would just shut down. So I learned quickly not to do that. Was it hard to go through publicists to get people to get to your studio? I know you have a podcast. Were they on your podcast or did you do the, the interviews at home? I was just doing the interviews at home, primarily over the phone. And um, yeah, the whole publicist complex can be a lot to negotiate. But mm-hmm. in this particular world, it was pretty easy to get a hold of people. I mean, there were a few, I had to jump through some hoops. Getting Alison Krauss on the phone was a process, um, mm. you know, so, uh, but. But yeah, you did it. You did it. I, I did do it. I did do it. She was lovely to talk to. 
um, once I, we, we finally made it happen. But um, yeah, you know, a lot of these people were just glad somebody was interested, you exactly. know, old banjo players and whatnot. Yes. So, yeah. It's all about the label's history, your book. And of course, there's interviews, as you just said, in the book as well. How would you describe American root music? Well, Americana is what it's kind of come to be called, and uh, it is a sort of vernacular style country rock with elements of blues and jazz and gospel and just about everything else. It's kind of a mongrel style that has come to me, you know, everybody from Mavis Staples to Robert Plant with Alison Krauss, you know, um, it's just a, a broad, broad tent. And uh, this particular label, Rounder Records, had a lot to do in kind of setting the canon just because they put out so much of it. They put out between three and 4,000 albums over the course of 50 years. And we're talking about the early 70s. Fall 1970 is uh, when they put their first records out. Uh, prior to that, the three founders were young graduate students up in the Northeast around the Boston area at various institutions and they spend a lot of time vagabonding around going to uh, folk festivals in places like union grove north carolina or galax mm -hmm. virginia and they'd see these old timers uh who'd never been recorded and uh they were of a mind that this should be documented that they should have records out and they started off by writing letters to record companies you know oh you you should record george pegram Banjo player from Union Grove, North Carolina. He's great. Wow. And they, when they got a response at all, it was uh, labels writing back politely saying, well, how about you record it yourself? So uh, that's what they did. Um, they, uh, I would describe them early on as kind of charmingly naive about how things worked. Doesn't that usually help a bit? Sometimes if one is in a creative endeavor, it can work to your benefit. I think so. I think so. Especially in a world like this where, you know, there was no gold mine involved in this. You think that's the key? Uh, it doesn't hurt. I will okay. at least say that, you know, uh, nobody, I don't think, gets into the old time music world with dollar signs in their eyes. Well, um, some do, but they find uh, out quickly yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> if they do, they, they very quickly learn <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that right. it is not the case. Yeah, you know, they put they do things like record uh, field hollerings and make an album of that. That must have been fun. I, yeah, you know, it was it it was kind of the perfect follow up from the North Carolina book, um, which covered a lot of the same ground musically. And this was, on the one hand, a narrow slice of it because it's just Americana style and didn't get into like hip hop and some of the things that the North Carolina book did. But very broad, nevertheless, as I said, um, Americana can be just about anything. And they really covered the whole spectrum of it in their time. And when Rounder Records started, the 70s, the airwaves, the radio stations were filled with folk music. Do you think that helped? I think so, yes. I mean, the they came of age kind of in college during the big folk revival with Pete Seeger and um, Tom Dooley. Uh, you know, the, there was a brief period before Beatlemania when folk music was uh, kind of America's popular music, mm -hmm. which was rather surprising. And it sprouted up on college campuses all over. And uh, they were among the faces in the crowd at those folk shows. And uh, at a certain point, people into that kind of music realized, hey, a lot of these old timers might still be alive. And they headed south and started going to folk festivals. 
And uh, they would find people like Skip James, the blues man, or Doc Watson, the guitar player mm-hmm. from Deep Gap, North Carolina, and bring them back north and put on shows. And then a few crazy folks like these rounders decided to make records with them. And, uh, and everybody said yes. Everybody said yes. And okay. it was very successful. Uh, yeah. You know, from the get-go, they, they managed to make it work. Um, they really lucked into a few anomalous hits, uh, like George Thorogood was one in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Not their thing at all. Uh, but he and his uh, champions were very insistent that Rounder should do this. So they put it out, not expecting much, and then, to their surprise, kind of blew up into a big hit and was their first gold record, which is just gigantic for a label like that. I mean... Did they stay friends throughout the course of the business? You know, they've had their ups and downs. Uh, Two of them, one of the men and uh, the woman, were a couple briefly uh they haven't been for you know the better part of 50 years but Mm -hmm. those two are still extremely close in fact i would say they're closer than a lot of married couples i know when you started you know putting these bits of research together to do the book did it come easy to you i mean as you got the research you went oh yeah to talk to them oh i think this is a great thing to cover i mean did you have an idea could you visualize the book even what it looked like how many pages it was going to be who you're going to talk to? Yes and no. Um, the three rounders, the, re- the reason I wound up doing this book is um, the University of North Carolina has uh, the Southern Folklife Collection and its libraries mm. there, which is a pretty big deal. And the rounder founders, they're all in their 70s within sight of 80 and they're kind of in the winding down phase of their careers and they donated their archives to the Southern Folklife Collection. And as part of that, University of North Carolina Press signed up to do a book and uh, with the cooperation of the founders. So they were uh, very helpful in providing kind of a roadmap for who to talk to. They were also very open to talking. I, I was in constant touch with them over the course of the several years that I was writing this, you know, on an almost daily basis. We'd be emailing and we'd jump on the phone a good bit. And, uh, you know, some of it was me asking around, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've learned how to kind of cast a net. Social media makes it pretty easy to it track does? people down a lot more than it used to be. Did you have some interviews that you really enjoyed over other ones? Um, George Thurgood was a delightful gentleman. Very, very funny, very self-effacing and kind of a corny dad joke sort of guy. Um, I, <laughs> Who would have I, I thought? Him, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that, but maybe. Well, I get on the phone with him and I said, how are you? And he goes, bad. <laughs> like to the phone. And then he goes, like the song. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I, you, you know, I'm only, the only thing more surprising than that you told that joke was that you felt compelled to explain it. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of like that sense of humor, but that's oh, good. Yeah, it was, he was great. He was wonderful. Um, Bella Fleck was okay. really good too, the banjo player, super nice guy. And, uh, so, and some of the employees, the kind of rank and file soldiers from, uh, the rounder days were, were very nice to talk to. You need those too, I would yes. think doing a book like this, cause they see things that maybe the people up front are not watching as closely. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, they give you, they definitely got a different perspective on the three founders of the company, you know, from, from working for them. But yeah, that was it was very helpful uh, all the way around. The Robert Plant Forward. How did that happen? 
Well, uh, this went goes back almost a year um, when we were in the final stages of fact-checking and editing and whatnot. We started sending the book around to uh, notables trying to get jacket blurbs. Some of them we got in there on the back cover, like uh, George Thorogood and Alison Krauss. Also, Patterson Hood from Drive-By Truckers. Oh, okay. And uh, Robert Plant was a name that was mentioned, and the three founders are still friendly with him. Um, you know, they they don't run the company anymore. They sold it and have kind of stepped away. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss record that won all those Grammys was kind of their last big thing before they, they sold the yes. company. So uh, they encouraged me to send it along to him, and, and I did. And... Uh, God bless him. They uh, kept after him to read it and write something. And then he came back with this, you know, lovely little tone poem kind of about it, called it a journal of great purpose. And um, the editor at UNC Press said, well, how about we turn that into a forward? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, I'm not surprised he would do this. Yeah. Um, kind of, you, you know, know what I mean? I don't know him, but I mean, he's just seeing him in other interviews. I think he really likes music and digs soulful music and he is hugely hugely knowledgeable a lot more oh. realize about this kind of music that um, i didn't know about this kind of music yeah. he knows a lot. oh really he, he okay. really does and uh also a director of marketing at rounder a fellow named brad paul told a story about how they were doing a video shoot with him and allison Krauss, and before it got going uh he insisted on going around and introducing himself to everyone and meeting them you know by name before they started. See, um, I, can, so. I can sense that, distancing yeah. him, right? Yeah. I mean, did you ever see him in an interview before he did the forward? I haven't. I have interviewed him a time or two um, oh, back then, when I was at the paper when he was coming to town to play. It's great interview. You got the forward. Did it come via email? Did you get a phone call? You'll always remember what you were doing, I would guess. Yeah, I was actually walking in the neighborhood. My phone goes ding. I open up my email, and there it is. And I'm like, <sighs> Uh, and I just about dropped the phone and fell over. I was like, okay. The other big communique was on a day I was driving home from South Carolina, picking up my daughter from summer camp when the word came through that we'd gotten all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And it was official that it would be the forward and his name would be on the cover and everything. I was just holding my breath, hoping nobody with Robert Plant Inc. would say, why are we doing this? And put the kibosh on it so uh the fates were kind it's a wonderful book and rounder records you know many people know they produce records concerts as well and distributed small record labels so they saw promise in musicians that may not have had any other opportunity yes they saw promise and a way to make it work and a way to make them be heard Mm. they uh set it up in such a way that for them to make their bottom line nut uh, didn't take all that much so long as they were careful about spending and nobody got too demanding. You know, so if you're a banjo player and you might sell 2,000 records, mm-hmm. a lot of them at merch tables, at festivals, um, they could make that work. And uh, they a lot, of, a lot of artists that would not have otherwise been heard from uh, got to put out records thanks to them. The pictures in your book, there's quite a few of them, and they're in great condition. How hard was it to get all of those? Uh, <laughs> oh, it was? Was it even it, as challenging it, as research? 
It, well, there's just a lot of detail work, and it's not, you know, it's kind of drudgery getting the high-res version of it and getting permission and the paperwork and everything. There were 47 pictures, and um, each of them uh, kind of a process to get. But uh, a lot of them were pictures that the Rounder founders had that are in the Southern Folklife collection now. Mm-hmm. So that was that was helpful. You know, there's there's just a lot of detail work to, to making that happen. But uh, an embarrassment of riches of pictures out there. We just scratched the surface. Um, you know, I would advise if you're interested, log on to the Southern Folklife Collections website and go to their Rounder collection there. Just they've got thousands upon thousands of photographs from those guys folk festivals and all these old timers and you know people you've heard of too like Bela Fleck your detail work it just shines throughout this book everything is two years worth anyway right three years indeed at least he said after working in in North Carolina and radio and and a little bit here in Houston and um, I want to mention there's a, a radio personality here before I go into the North Carolina story uh, Chris Allen, who said, oh, you're interviewing David. Be sure you ask him if he knows Monty Warden and the Wagoneers. And I go, I, I will. if I." So I'm asking. I do indeed know Monty Warden and the Wagoneers, yep. It's, it's just a full circle of North Carolina and Texas. I'm loving it. And I, I was looking at um, the acknowledgments, too, and a lot of North Carolina names came up. And Sugar Hill Records, also yeah. bringing in a bit of Texas. I see Gus Gussler, Michael Elliott, Bill Reeves. There's more, I'm sure, but those names kind of stuck out. It must be fun to put a book together. You're you're just so passionate about it. And then you've got these people who feel equally passionate about your book and what it says. I had a lot of help from some very kind people who were extraordinarily generous with their time and energy. And I really, really appreciated it. And, um, you know, Bill Reeves, he's a great photographer. Oh, he yeah. did my... Wonderful jacket photo and made me look better than I deserve. It's kind of stink. I'm talking to David Menconi, who is the author of this. Well, it's a brand new book, comes out in October, called Rounder Records and the Transformation of American Roots Music, with a foreword by Robert Plant. It's about the label, Rounder Records, the history. There's so much in there. Um, If you didn't work in music research, if you weren't a writer, what would you do? Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I did see in your bio that you were a, a one-time oil field roustabout. Oil field roustabout, yeah. I, <laughs> Is I'd that be, after I, UT I, or before <laughs> UT? <laughs> well, it's funny. <clears throat> when uh, my, my checkered college career, I tried all the well-paying majors. Um, I was like? I was an accounting major and was going to go to law school. And I uh, was also um, a pre-med major, was going to be a dentist for a while. And I was just really dismally bad at all of it. And uh, finally decided at the very end, right before my what was supposed to be my senior year, mm-hmm. uh, that I was going to try to be a writer and change majors to English. I mean, they used to call me the man of a thousand degree plans at the registrar's office just because my transcripts were just in smoking ruins and I barely got into grad school and got a master's in journalism and uh, then hoofed it at newspapers for about 30 some years. What uh, did your family say when you said, oh no, I'm writer? I got to give them credit. They were like, okay. I told them, yeah, I want to be a rock critic. And they were like, "Um, (laughs) a what? (laughs) And you've uh, written for Rolling Stone, Spin, 
Yeah, I, I, I managed to do okay. It was not at all clear there was a path forward to making a living when I first got into this. Yeah. Um, and my first job out of grad school, my, my master's netted me the princely sum of $750 a month in Boulder, Colorado at the little daily there. And I was there for five years before coming to Raleigh. And then the, the competition to write for some of the bigger music magazines like Spin and Rolling Stone. I mean, that took an extra... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's funny. It just really is all relationships and networks and who oh, you sure. know. I, I pitched Spin for years. How long did you do that? Just uh, give me a number so people listening who are writers go, oh, it's so easy, man. I can just send it. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably pitched them between five and ten years a lot and just, you know, never even got a response. But then... Well, it turned out that somebody I knew who was a publicist was married to an editor there. And uh, uh, that led to me having coffee with him one day. And suddenly, pitches would not go unanswered. And they actually started assigning me things. So had I not been able to have a face-to-face get-together with him, it wouldn't have happened. And then the you know, Rolling Stone, one of the editors that spin, went from spin to Rolling Stone. And that's how that happened. And then it worked that so. way. It goes in the other direction, too. You'll be in real good at some magazine, and <laughs> yeah. then the editor leaves, and then yeah. the replacement start all over. their own ideas and their own people, and yeah. Obviously, you love music. And there's a Rounder Ramble playlist on Spotify. There is. And um, I saw Tom Dooley. My dad had every LP from Kingston Trio, and it just <laughs> made my heart go, oh, my, that's so cool. So how many songs are on there? Uh, I think 500 and something. Oh, um, it's, wow. it, it's somewhere between three and 500. I'd have to go back and look it up. But uh, I tried to get every song and artist mentioned in the book on there. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, right. Not quite all of them, but most of them, because some aren't on Spotify, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it goes well beyond just rounder record stuff like uh, Tom Dooley, the Kingston Trio are actually on Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say it's probably 80 to 90% rounder and then 10 to 20% other labels. I bet it was fun putting that together, though. It was. Um, what is it about a playlist, right? I mean, the songs probably came to your head. You didn't have to write them down. I just sat there with the book, you know, paging through it mm-hmm. and then, you know, calling up each song as I came to it in the text. And of course, um, you had to hear each song. You didn't have to just put it oh, in yeah. there. Oh, yeah. It took a while. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I got to give that a spin. <laughs> the book is coming out in October, October 17th. Mm-hmm. Do a tour with your book? Or are we going to see you signing books? I am doing that kind of thing, yes. The first Good. one will be October 17th. Well, actually, the first event is at the Bluegrass Festival in Raleigh. That happens the last week of September. That's right. And then the first bookstore reading will be at uh, Quail Ridge Books here in Raleigh. And uh, I'm going to a book festival in Louisiana and some other things. Oh, by the way, that Spotify playlist, I just looked it up. 307 songs. 15 hours. (laughs) He's on it. He's on it. 15 hours of Americana Bliss. How about another book? Oh, boy. Um I right now I need to just decompress a bit. I jumped into this one maybe quicker than I should have from the last one, which took a lot out of me and didn't realize until I was well into it that, hmm, I'm a little more burned out than I realized. So uh, 
it was a bit of a struggle to get it all the way to the finish line. And uh, I think my wife would like it if I didn't do any more books for a while. So um, <laughs> the book cover, when you were finishing the book, did you have something in mind or did they come to you, North Carolina Press, and say, oh, here's something I think would work? Oh, with, with the cover? Yeah. They have a designer. Um, I like to think of her as my personal designer because she was at University of Texas Press before and did two of my books there. So the way this works is they will send you a questionnaire for input about the cover. And so uh, we had a number of photos, including the one that's on the cover of the three founders at home in their apartment that was the first rounder office. And it's kind of an <laughs> iconic picture of them doing that in a sort of sepia tone yeah. look made sense. Yeah. And then, uh, the, the green was a really nice touch, and that was Lindsay Starr's idea. She's the, the designer. And also the uh, Rounder logo on the cover. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Rounder Records and the Transformation of American Roots Music. And there's Oh, Didn't They Ramble as part of the title, too. The old Charlie Poole song, a riff on that, Didn't He Ramble is the Charlie Poole old-time song. Kind of a play on that. And so you're going to have to write more books. It, this this book kind of tied a few things together. I mean, I, I'm very much at home in the Americana pocket of music. And then the music industry in general and record companies in particular have always been kind of a point of fascination for me. Mm -hmm. So this combined a couple of different things in my strike zone and uh, was, you know, fun to do. And it was nice to have a real good excuse to get really immersed in that kind of music. One of the Rounder founders did an even bigger playlist than that one uh, that I did that was just Rounder stuff. I think he put it together for their 50-year anniversary, and it's like 500 and something songs. So that's what I generally had playing in the background as I was working on stuff. And your family fully supported this endeavor for the past <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> I think they were pretty sick of banjos. What's your website, David, so I can direct people to go there to get more about what you're doing? davidmanconi.com easy peasy m-e-n-c-o-n-i correct thank you for being a part of this podcast today i was so looking forward to it thanks for having me it's uh, great to talk to you again there's so many questions i could go on for probably a couple other hours so we'll have you back <laughs> it's it's a pretty darn pleasant part of the process and I'd, I'd be honored to come back anytime all right thanks david thank you so much thank you You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.